looking at the subject of prayer, and um, I was allotted three weeks, and um, if I had three years, right, it would still, we'd still just be scratching the service. Last week, uh, we started, and um, one, uh, one of the things that I pointed out was that uh, prayer is an expectation of the Lord in regards to his people. He expects us to pray. He wants to hear from us. The Father wants to hear from his children. So there is an expectation of, of, of prayer. So we should be praying. And it should be a consistent, open communication, constant communion with the Father in heaven. Also, there's something else that we looked at. And we looked at it because uh, we looked at the hypocrite and how he prayed. And so... What is really vital in prayer is our heart attitude. It's our heart attitude in prayer. If you remember when we talked about the hypocrite, he was all about the show. It was pretense. He wanted to appear before others uh, something that he was not. Uh, he wanted everybody to think that he was, you know, super spiritual, super pious. And so he would pray in public and, and make a big deal out of it. And Jesus, Jesus said, don't be like this guy. Don't be like this guy. So with that in mind, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, with that in mind with the hypocrite, if you're, you remember what I said about what a hypocrite is? He's someone who's wearing a mask of piety, right? A religious mask. So we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to wear a mask. We want to be genuine. We want to be real. And uh, that's the fallacy of a, of a hypocrite when he prays because... Not only is he putting on this show before men who hears him, who else is he putting a show on before? And, of course, it's the Lord. So he's not fooling the Lord. He may fool us, but he's not fooling the Lord. So in the, in the context of the hypocrite, uh, we're going to look here at verse 6, and uh, we're going to see, uh, uh, see what Jesus has to say here. And we're going to look at uh, closet time, closet time in prayer. So he says here in verse 6, he says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You know, it's weird in our perverse upside-down society, uh, someone coming out of the closet is considered praiseworthy. But yet here the Lord says someone who goes into the closets is praiseworthy. So he encourages us to, to go into a closet. And he says, uh, but thou when thou prayest, in direct contrast to the hypocrite who's praying for show, uh, Jesus speaks of thy closet. Thy closet. Uh, one day I went to visit a friend who had just purchased a brand new home. It was a big, beautiful house. And as we were, as he was uh, showing us through the house, all the various rooms and all that kind of stuff, uh, we noticed in one of the, I noticed in one of the bedrooms, uh, there was a, a walk-in closet door. The, the door was ajar. And there was nothing in this room. You could just see, just and see inside this, this walk-in closet. There were no clothes, no furniture. But in the middle of the floor was an open Bible laying there in the middle of the floor. So obviously, my friend was using this walk-in closet in this uh, spare bedroom in his house as his place to go to pray and to read God's word. 
Now, is this what Jesus means when he says, enter into thy closet? Are we to pull out all of our clothing and our shoes and the boxes in the closet? Are we to, are we to go into a closet to pray? I mean, what if you don't have a nice walk-in carpeted closet like my, my wealthy friend had? You know, uh, What if you're in a jail cell? Or what if you're in a hospital bed? You know, what do you do? What do you do if you, if you don't have a closet? So once again, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking here, he's not really talking so much about a specific closet, though there's nothing against that. Those are, there's nothing against that. And again, let me reiterate, I said this last time we met, <clears throat> he's not opposed to public praying. When we went through the study on the hypocrite, he's not opposed to praying in public. Right? That, there's nothing inherently wrong in praying in public. In fact, 1 Kings 8, 22 through 61, Solomon prayed in public <clears throat> up on a platform when he was dedicating the temple, when the temple was completed. So he was up on a platform on his knees with his hands raised, and you can read about his uh, public prayer there in 1 Kings 8. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 5, Ezra prayed publicly. He cried out to the Lord because of the sin of the people, because some of the people were intermingling with the, with the gals, the idolatrous woman, women, and he, he was crying out to the Lord. You know, this is the very thing that put us in Babylon, and here we are doing it again. Now, he did that in public. He prayed that out in public. In Nehemiah 9.4, <coughs> after reading of the law, the, Le the Levites also prayed a public confession and prayed about the people's transgression. So again, that was a, so the point is this. You know, it's, it's okay to, re to, to pray in public. There's absolutely nothing wrong with praying in public, but just don't be like the hypocrites. Be sincere, be genuine, be real. There is, a, there is a time to pray in public. But what is, what is the Lord talking about here as far as entering into thy closet? Again, remember the context about this section about prayer. He's using the hypocrite as a, as a contrast. Here's somebody who's out, out and about. He's all about the show. He's all about, you know, making everybody think he's, he's all that and a bag of chips. And then Jesus says, don't be like this guy, but go into your closet, go into thy closet. In other words, you don't need to make a big show. You don't need to make a big show when, when you pray. You don't need to be like this showy hypocrite with his pretense. God's not going to honor that. He says, but when you pray, in contrast to the showy hypocrite, go into the closet. Don't make a big show out of it. He says here in, in Matthew 6, he says, enter into thy closet. Again, contrast to the public display. Remember where the hypocrite prayed? Two places he prayed. On the street and in the synagogue. Why did he do that? He wanted everybody to see him. Jesus says, don't. No, go, go into your closet. The hypocrite harvesting praise for men, the heart, the one who goes into the closet, they're seeking the Lord. They're seeking the Lord, not the praise of men. He says, shut, shut thy door. Again, the, 
The hypocrite prays to be seen. His mantra is, look at me, ain't I something? Jesus says, when you go into the closet, shut the door. Shut the door. You don't need to be seen of men. You don't need to be that way. Instead of bringing attention to ourselves, desiring the praise of men, the sincere disciple, you know what they want? They want the attention of the Father. That's what they're all about. They could care less about the attention of other men. He says here, pray to thy father which is in secret. The key word here is secret. Remember the hypocrite, he does so in the presence of men. Why? Well, he seeks their praise. You can't receive much praise from men when you're praying in secret, can you? The word secret means to conceal a matter so that it may not become known. Right? This is really interesting to me. I looked this word secret up. And the word secret is translated as inwardly of the heart in Romans 2.29. As secrets of his heart in 1 Corinthians 14.25. And as the hidden man of the heart in 1 Peter 3.4. So what does that tell you? The closet is the heart of the matter, for the heart is our closet. It's the inner, it's the inner man. That's why if you're laying in the hospital bed, you can still pray in the closet of your heart. That's why if you're in a jail cell, you can still pray in the closet of your heart. That's why if you're driving down I-49, you can still pray in the closet of your heart. And he says here, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You see, the goal of the hypocrite, the goal of the prayer of the hypocrite is to be seen of men. He wanted to showcase their mask of religiosity, which was really hiding their true nature. The goal of the prayer, uh, you know, of the sincere disciple is to have communion, to have fellowship, to communicate with the father. That's their goal. That's what they want. Now be honest. Isn't this behind some of the fear and trepidation when you're singled out from the crowd to pray? Have you ever been called out to pray in public? Do you feel a little anxious? A little fearful? You know, what do we... Well, I hope I don't say something stupid. I hope I, don't, I hope I don't pray something undoctrinal. I can remember as a young Christian um, being in the company of some of the folks that I was with. I mean, they were far more mature than I was. I can remember with my eyes closed real tight as, it was, as I knew that time was coming when someone was going to be called. I'm saying in my mind, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Sometimes they called on me. It's because of that insecurity. You're more concerned about others, what they think. See, when you enter into the closet of your heart, then all that other stuff becomes inconsequential. All becomes inconsequential. Why is that? Because you're focusing on the Father. 
not yourself and not others. Psalm 17.1 says, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Feigned lips, that's, that's to disguise oneself. That's to wear a mask. That's to be insincere, be a, uh, to speak with pretense. You know, when you're in the closet before the Lord, you can't fake it. If you do, you're a fool. Because he sees it. He knows. He, he knows your heart. Why fake it when you're with him in the closet of your heart? Psalm 17.6 6 says, I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. I love that. Incline thou, thine ear unto me. One time we were in a, a busy gathering, <clears throat> lots of noise, a lot of people talking, and I was watching this little scenario going across the room, and there was a little, little boy tugging on his dad's shirt to get his attention, and the father bent down, he inclined his ear to hear what his son had to say. That's what God does with us. He bends down and inclines his ear to hear our prayers. Do you realize he's got millions of children all praying, all calling out to him? And yet he hears every single one of them. And he deals with every single one of them individually. That's amazing. That's amazing. See, the reward of the hypocrite is well, he's, he wants to receive the praise of men. He wants men to think that he's, you know, all that, spiritually. Well, to me, that's, that's pretty shallow. That's a fleeting reward. I mean, one day they may think you're something special, but it doesn't take long, and they'll change your opinion on you. Have you ever noticed how fickle people can be? They're pretty fickle. But what is the promise reward that he talks about here when we speak to the Father in the, in the, in the closet of our hearts in secret. What is, what, is, uh, what is the reward for that time? Well, there's lots. I'm just going to mention a few. One, consciously being in the presence of the Father. Consciously being in the presence of the Father. Psalms 34, 17 through 18 says... The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. I say consciously, consciously being in the presence of the Father, because when you're in the, when you're in the closet, your total focus is on him. Okay? It's fixed on the Father. It's not fixed on others. It's fixed on the Father. Where the hypocrite is only in the presence of men when he prays, because that's who he wishes to impress, when we're in the closet praying to the Father, we're, we're fixated on the Father. We are conscious of his presence. Now let me ask you a question. Now some of you super spiritual saints might say, well, yeah, all the time, but are you always conscious of the presence of the Father? To be honest, are you? When things are going wrong at work, when your kids are going nuts, 
car won't start? So that's why I say conscious of his presence. Because when you're in the closet with your father, that's where that communion and that fellowship, that intimacy takes place like David knew and Daniel knew and Paul knew. So that's a reward. Something else, experience personal revival. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him that also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the spirit of the contrite ones. You know, so often we read in, in, in Psalms, where David or the psalmist is writing, and, they, and they, they, they start off like a gloomy Gus, don't they? As an example, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? That's some honest, raw emotion going on there. But then what do you read later on, either in that very same psalm or in the psalm that follows? What do you read? You read this very same individual exalting God and praising God for his deliverance and for his loving kindness and for his mercy in his life. That's the same thing that can happen for you when you are in your closet. You can become refreshed in those times of duress. You can go to him and pour out that raw emotion and he will strengthen you. And he will give you that peace. And he'll help you to meet those adverse circumstances that we face in life. <coughs> or is that just me? Another thing. To be assur- we can be assured of the Father's care and his undivided attention during this time. See, we focus on him, and we are aware of his focusing on us. We are assured of his care. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word." So I don't know about you folks, but there are times when I need assurance. There are times I need assurance, and I need assurance that only comes from the Lord. I need to know from him that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. 1 John 3.19 says, And hereby we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. And assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemneth not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You know, it's good to hear from God, 
when I look into his word and prayer and he tells me, hey, Jeff, we're still okay. Does that make sense? I'm still in charge. It'll work out. When we bring our cares to the Lord in the closet, we have his assurance that he will never leave us or forsake us. Do we ever forget that? Sometimes we do, I think. And I love this word confidence. That's that assurance. That's that confidence. It's like what Paul says, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded. When you get in that closet with the Lord, with his word, that's what he does for you. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need peace sometimes. I need peace. Peace of mind. Peace of heart. Something else that's a reward. You may not think of it in this regard, but when you're in that time of closet prayer, it's a time to present yourself to the Father. A time to present yourself to the Father. This is why the door is shut. Not so much for the Father's sake, but for our sake. I don't know about you, but I get easily distracted. And when I close that door, I can present myself to the Father. This is a time for that communion, that communication between the Father and the child. This is a time of undivided attention given to the Father by looking into his word and by praying Allowing him to renew your mind and, 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 and transform your heart in this, in this time. And it's also a great time of personal presentation. What do I mean by that? Well, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What better time than at that time to present yourself to the Father as a living sacrifice? That's why I, st I stress, and many have stressed, it's important, the first thing you do in the morning, before you do anything, is get into that closet and present yourself as a living sacrifice. That sets the tone for the rest of the day. That helps you to face what, what comes may. This is, the, this is the secret that men like David and Daniel and Paul knew. When they would pray in the morning at noon and during the night watches. There's, there's a presentation of yourself to the Father. Like Isaiah said, here am I. We also can exercise our hearts 
in the prayer closet. Exercise our hearts in the prayer closet. Now let me say this. No one but Jesus knew the Bible better than, than he did. I mean, he, he was the very incarnation of the word, was he not? In the beginning was the word, and words were with God, and the word was God. So if anybody knew the Bible, it was Jesus. And there was no man busier than Jesus in ministry. No man that fulfilled the will of the Father like Jesus fulfilled the, fulfilled, uh, the will of the Father. But yet with everything that was going on in Jesus' life, <clears throat> Jesus made time to be alone with the Father in prayer. He made time to do that. 2 Peter 3.17 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, he says, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He says, But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now I quoted this verse in 2 Peter because we also can know a lot about the Bible, can't we? Through study. And we also can be a blessing to others through service and ministry. We also can teach and preach God's word in such a way that it pricks men's hearts and their consciences and encourages the saints. We can also be so busy in ministry that we meet ourselves coming and going, can't we? And, and we do oftentimes. <clears throat> but we can never truly expect to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior unless we follow his example, especially in this matter of taking time to be with the Father in prayer. He did. He did. And if you pay attention to those times when you find Jesus in prayer and those solitary places in prayer and alone in prayer, it was always in relation with his ministry. It was always in relation to, to, the, to, the, to the Father's will in his ministry. He was all night alone in prayer before he called the twelve. He was all, I mean, even after he spent all that time healing the infirmed and casting out demons, he spent all night long doing that in Mark chapter 1. But yet when his disciples woke up, he wasn't there with them. You know where he was? In a solitary place, praying. He didn't even go to bed. He didn't even go to bed. Better preachers, better teachers, better servants, and faithful ministry can only come about by better praying. You wonder why you don't have any power? Maybe this is the reason. Maybe you're not tapping into the source of the power. You know, we educate people about the Bible all the time in this church. We should also educate the people about how to pray about what they're being educated about. You know, it's one thing to pray the scriptures back to God. What about praying the scriptures into us? Asking God to make that scripture real. There is a, a, a preacher here. He was very prominent here in Kansas City at one time. And his prayer was, Lord, show me in your word what I need to know so that your power can work in me for your glory and for the good of men. 
That's a powerful prayer. And God answered that prayer. And that man was a mighty force in this city and across this nation and all over the world. Something else about prayer. Prayer enters into all the relationships of life. In the closet, our prayers must seek to embrace not only the Father, but others as well. That's why we have a prayer list. That's why we meet on Sunday night. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So before we can expect to embrace God in love through our prayers, we must also learn to embrace others in love in our prayers. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we don't have love for people. It's because we don't pray for the people, truly pray for the people. I mean, we give lip service to God, how we love God, but you know how we best prove that we love God? By loving people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So praying embraces people as well. Now, keeping all of this in mind, in verse 7, Jesus now transitions to another type. He's already talked about the hypocrite. Okay, now he's presented to the disciple the, the time of, of closet prayer in our heart. And now he's transitioning to another type here in verse 7. <clears throat> he says, but when ye pray, and I, I, now I don't think this is a stretch to include this. He says, but when ye pray while you're in the closet, okay, that's not there in the scripture, so don't anybody tar and feather me and run me out of here. I'm only saying that because of the context. He says, but when ye pray while you're still in the closet before God, he says, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. He says, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you, ye ask him. So when ye pray, you know, when I looked at this, I don't know about you guys, I'm kind of funny this way. I know Brian's funny this way too. When I looked at this, I saw, okay, here we have verse 6 and verse 7. 6 plus 7 is what? 13. What is 13 in the Bible? Number of rebellion. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the heathen. Are not the heathen rebellion against God? Sure they are. Even in their prayer life, there is rebellion against God in their religiosity. He said they use vain repetitions. If praying like a hypocrite isn't pleasing enough, then the vain repetitions of the heathen is also an abomination to the Lord. The dictionary definition of vain repetition means to repeat the same things over and over and over again. To use a plethora of words to babble or to prat. To be wordy and tedious. Kind of like my teaching. So 
on occasion, and again, understand, I'm just talking about what, the G, what Jesus said here. On occasion, I press a scan button on my car radio because, frankly, there's very little on the radio that interests me. It drives my wife nuts, but I hit the scan button and it just goes through the stations. And occasionally, I'll hear something that will catch my interest for a little bit. And so, on occasion, I will stop the scan on the local Catholic station. Do you guys realize we have a couple of local Catholic stations on the radio? So I'll stop it on the local Catholic station, especially when they're reciting their prayers. Certain times a day they recite, I don't know if they're going through the rosary or whatever it is they're doing, but while I listen to these folks, I can't help but wonder, but they kind of fall into a certain pattern of simply reciting what they've either learned by rote or perhaps are reading from a page. And it's almost like they're in a, a trance. Uh, the praying uh, takes on a, the characteristic of a, of, a, of a droning chant more than the passionate plea or the expression of a heart of worship or, you know, you know there just seems to be a disconnect. They're saying the words... But there's a, a disconnect. Now, I was raised a Roman Catholic. Okay? And there was one time I even considered going into the priesthood. At one time. And uh, when I was went to the rite of confirmation, I was gifted a prayer book of which I dutifully read through the prayers for every day of the year. I did that. And when I went to the confessional, I would re receive a list of prayers. And I was told uh, how to, uh, a certain number of, say this prayer a certain number of times, and this prayer a certain number of times, for penance. Because of my sin. As an altar boy, that was the fellow who helped the priest during the Mass, I would recite Latin in response to uh, something that the priest said in Latin. As a good Catholic, I also, with the family, recited the rosary, which was a chain with beads on it. And each bead represented a, a prayer. Our Father, or Hail Mary, or glor Glory Be, and we would, we would go around this chain of beads reciting these prayers. Reciting these prayers. And the belief was, this is what I was taught, the belief was, that the more prayers recited, the more merit was stored up in heaven. And the more merit stored up in heaven would bring more assurance of convincing God to answer whatever I wanted God to answer. Whatever God wanted to answer. Or earn enough merit for God to take pity and forgive me of my sin. And this created a mindset of this oft-repeated prayers already written out for me to say an attitude of vain repetition. 
And this practice of gaining merit by much praying is not unique to the Roman Catholic Church. All sorts of religions use prayer beads or <clears throat> prayer wheels or chants or, or, or mantras. Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, some African, Brazilian religions, Islam, Sikhism, Baha'i faith, even Christian denominations practice this <clears throat> Vain repetition. The Greek Orthodox Church prays thinking they're gaining merit in heaven with these prayers. Uh, in ancient Buddhist temples in China, the monks had invented a rotating bookcase. And in this bookcase, they would have the writings of Buddha. And what they would do is they would crank these bookcases book around and around and around, not for the purpose of reading the wisdom of their Buddha, but they would meditate upon the sound of the creaking, rotating bookcases. In his book, Medieval Religion and Technology, Professor Wright wrote, these monks were not interested in the wisdom found in the books. They sought salvation by the rotation of the sacred writings. Vain repetition. Vain repetition. When I lived in a suburb of Athens, Greece, we would see older men and women <coughs> sitting at the bus stops with a string of large beads in their hands and they would be flipping them around one by one in their hands. And you could hear them clicking, 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 clicking. We called them worry beads. Because what these beads were, were these older individuals praying. Each bead was a prayer for a concerning, certain anxiety or a certain worry or a certain problem. And so they would flip these beads around. And the more times the beads were flipped, the more merit was stored up in heaven to give assurance that God would eventually answer their prayers. Remember what the Lord said? For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Prayer is meant for fellowship, communion, and communication. This has turned prayer into a mundane, tedious, merit-seeking duty. Much speaking and pursuit of merit. Prayer is now a work of merit in order to gain special favor from a God that is somehow appeased or convinced or you get his attention by your much speaking. Is that how God works? Careful. Is that how God works? Job 35.13 says, Surely God will not hear vanity. Neither will the Almighty regard it. Now, I was raised in this. And I do not wish to question the sincerity of those who pray in this fashion. But sadly, one can also be sincerely wrong. 
In the Lord's own words, this is the case with those who practice vain repetition. In order to be heard or gain merit with God by their much speaking, by their much speaking, they think God's going to hear them. The mindset of obtaining merit much uh, praying leads to all sorts of harmful and hurtful things, both of the soul as well as the body. Kind of reminds me of the priests of Baal who would cut themselves in order to be heard. There's history of Christians who would flog themselves thinking that this would, their suffering would gain merit with God. Martin Luther, the famed reformer, went to Rome in 1510. He had high expectations for his visit to Rome. Uh, when he arrived in Rome, he fell to the earth, and then he raised his hands and said, Hail to thee, holy Rome. Thrice holy for the blood of the martyr shed here. What Luther was seeking was a spiritual experience. So he visited the graves of popes and he went to cemeteries where martyrs were buried. And like a good Catholic monk that he was, the pilgrims that he was, he went to a place called Scala Sancta, or the Holy Stairs. According to Catholic tradition, these marble steps were the very steps that Jesus climbed up when he met with Pontius Pilate. And a gal by the name of Helena, who was the mother of Constantine, when she went to Palestine, she had these steps ripped up and shipped to Rome. And people climb up these steps on their knees, praying on each step. And I've got a picture of the steps. The marble steps are rounded, almost smooth, because of the, knee, the, count, the countless knees that have climbed up these steps. According to Catholic doctrine, you can uh, uh, attain plenary indulgence or, remittance, or remittance of temporal punishment due to sin by climbing the stairs. You receive a, a plenary indulgence as you ascend this entire staircase, and you only receive a partial indulgence if you only go halfway. It's not in the Bible. <clears throat> so every step on your knees while you pray, you are gaining merit in heaven. You're gaining merit in heaven. While Luther was climbing these steps on his knees, he remembered a passage in the scriptures. The just shall live by faith. And he had an epiphany. And he stood up. And he cried out with a loud voice, the just shall live by faith. And seven years later, he was nailing to the church doors in Wittenberg his 95 theses and started the Reformation. The same practice of climbing the steps goes on today. Climbing these steps, seeking merit by prayer. Again, I'm not mocking or I'm not trying 
to anybody's sincerity or I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not doing that, but it's tragic. It really is tragic to think about that. You find men and women <coughs> who hold to these traditions and rather allow the Bible to free them and give them liberty in Christ, they remain enslaved in their ignorance. Religion is a mask. It's a mask for the hypocrite. It's a mask for the vain repeaters. It's a mask cleverly devised, designed by the enemy to, to deceive people from seeing the truth. You speak to somebody about this and they get very emotional over it. Very emotional. The admonition from the Lord to his disciples is clear. Don't be like these hypocrites and don't be like these vain re repeaters who think you're going to gain merit from your much speaking. He says, be not therefore like unto them. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. Now, you guys might say, well, I'm a Bible believer. I know this. I don't use vain repetitions in my prayer. Be careful. Be careful. We as good Bible believers can also fall into this place of vain repetition. And some of us even think that we can get special favor or merit from God because of our much praying. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? I've stepped on mine a few times. You know, when God doesn't answer our, our many prayers, our much praying, as we think he ought to answer, we either get mad with God or find fault with God, or we say, well, I didn't pray hard enough, or I didn't pray long enough. We Bible believers can also be heard to, to recite certain phrases that finds acceptance in our circles and we say certain things without any thought about what it is we're saying or any heart behind what we're saying. They just flow out of our mouths from habit. I'm guilty of that. Just because it sounds biblical, just because you're reciting a Bible verse or two, that doesn't necessarily mean it's any, it's any better than vain repetition. If your heart's not involved, if your mind is absent, if you put yourself in mental cruise control while you're praying, you rattle off these pet phrases without any thought behind them, that's equivalent to vain repetition. They're empty words. We mindlessly recite these often repeated phrases, those same old chest chestnuts that we Bible believers are expected to say in our prayers. And then we close in Jesus' name. Why do we do that? Well, that's just what we do. That's what Jesus told us to do. Well, we say in Jesus' name, but are we 
thoughtfully considering if Jesus himself would approve of what we just prayed? To tack his name to it? One time I attended a prayer breakfast and was asked to close out in prayer. After I concluded my short and to-the-point prayer, (laughs) the pastor who was uh, in charge of the prayer breakfast said, well, that was a good Catholic prayer. Ouch. Coming from the religious background I came from, this really grieved me, so I went home and sulked. Said, I'll never pray in public again. You know, I went through the whole thing. But after I settled down, I got to thinking about it. You know, you know what I prayed wasn't incorrect. It, there wasn't anything doctrinally wrong with it. It's just that I just said it. I just said it. I kind of went in cruise control and just said it. Sometimes we do that. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, said, Others pray, but not in the Holy Ghost. They pray more like parrots than weeping doves. Their hearts do not melt in prayer. They exercise more of their inventiveness, more so than their affections. We've got to be careful. We must be wary of thinking more about how our prayers are heard of men and be more concerned about what is the Lord hearing when we pray. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul lists out the armor of God. And then in verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Wow. If someone was to ask you, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Would you be able to give them an answer? I think the majority of Christians are ignorant of this. The snare for us to avoid stepping into is this habit of vain repetition, vain as in void. The words are there, but where's the heart and the mind? Where's the spirit? You know, we can prove to be very eloquent praying in the flesh. Very eloquent. We say those oft-repeated practice words expected of us, conscious more about those who hear us, rather than exalting and petitioning the God to whom we're supposed to be praying to. The words are there, but the heart is absent. Speaking of the Christian armor and the Christian warfare, one man said to pray with all your heart And all your strength with the reason and the will is the greatest achievement of the Christian warfare on earth. Don't check out. Don't check out. What happens among even good Bible-believing, Jesus-loving folks, uh, we tend to put it in cruise control. And we just say those often repeated phrases that are acceptable in the present company that we're praying in. In essence, what happens is that we become absent from the spirit but present in the flesh. Now let me ask you a question. Does the Bible not teach that God created man in his own image? Yes, Jeff, it does say that. Sure it does. 
Now what does this image pertain to? Okay, the good things. Well, there's three things. He created man with an intellect. God's smart. He created man with emotions. God has emotions. He loves, he hates. And a will to choose. What's the PhDs of the piled higher and deeper crowd call volition. So intellect, emotion, and, and, and volition. Now, if I carried on a conversation with you all, and I repeated the same thing again and again, and if I carried on a conversation with you all, and I repeated the same thing again and again, and if I carried on a conversation with you all, and I repeated the same thing again and again, see what I'm saying? You would either think I'm I'm an answering recording machine, or I'm off my rocker, right? But yet, that's the way some people pray to God. Lots of words. No heart. Their mind isn't engaged. The Bible teaches that we are to pray with our intelligence from a respectful and reverent heart attitude. And yes, we are allowed to get emotional at times. It's okay to express your anger, your frustration as well as your love and adoration. It's okay to do that. First Corinthians 14.10 There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. I'm sure I butchered that word. Therefore I know not the meaning of the voice. I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. You see, our Pentecostal friends have fallen into this vain reputation when they claim they're praying in the spirit and all they're doing is this gibberish. This gibberish. My question to them is of what spirit are you praying in and if the great apostle Paul would rather pray with the understanding, why do you think that you're more spiritual than the apostle Paul? You're not going to impress God. We are to pray from the heart thoughtful, engaging our minds, using the brains God gave us. Mindful of the one to whom we are praying. You realize the Father wants to hear the the passions of your grief, the exaltations of your joy, the expressions of your praise. He wants to talk to you like you're an intelligent, emotional Being that can make a choice in life. Not somebody who just rambles on with this prepackaged, overheated prayers. Psalms 145.17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. 
The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. If you're just cranking that wheel, where's the truth? If you're just flipping those beads and just reciting something that somebody's taught you, where is the truth? It says, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him. He says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever. He wants us engaged. He wants us involved. The praises and the sacrifice, the sacrifices and praise and thanksgiving that the Lord wants to hear from us, he wants them to be free will offerings, folks. We just don't recite praise. We mean praise. We don't recite words of worship. We mean worship. Fingering of beads, the turning of wheels, the flipping through pages, the slipping of scrolls in some wall, the setting of flags up on the mountain. That's not going to touch the ear of God. He's not going to incline his ear to that. Psalms 104 says, 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Be engaged. Be engaged. This is what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, 8. He says, Be not ye therefore like unto him, the vain repeaters of words, seeking to be heard, in order to gain merit from their much speaking, so that God maybe will answer their prayers, because they've earned enough merit. What does he say here in verse 8 in Matthew 6? Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. You see, the vain repeaters who, who, through their much speaking, thinking that God's here, they're not even sure if God's going to answer their prayers because they're not sure if they've got enough prayer merit built up. There's no assurance in that. There's no confidence in that. And besides that, that's a gross misunderstanding concerning the character of God. Our Father knows our needs. And whether we are aware of it or not, he provides those needs. That's what Matthew 5.45 says, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Do you realize that when the sun comes up in the morning... That's God's good hand blessing you. When it rains, that's God's good hand blessing you. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. That's assurance, folks. That's a promise he won't break. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. But yet here's the rub. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss so that you might consume it upon your lust. James 4.3. Are you asking according to his will? Or are you asking to fulfill your lusts? You know, this passage in Matthew 6.8 where it says that he knows our needs before we even ask, some people say, well, why even bother praying if God already knows? Why even bother praying if God already knows? Of course, this is not only the wrong interpretation due to the context of this passage concerning the vain repeater who's not sure. That's why he's praying all these prayers, trying to get the ear of God, like, hey, God, pay attention to me. Listen to me. I'm down here. God knows he's down there. It's also the wrong perspective for Bible believers to have concerning prayer. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. See, the Father is intimately involved in each each and every one of our lives. There's no question about this. That's not even the issue. The issue is how involved are you with the Father? Are you even speaking to him? The Father desires to hear from those with engaged hearts and minds not divorced from reason. And when you practice this vain repetition, that's exactly... The opposite. Psalms 10.17 says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble, that will prepare their heart, that will cause thine ear to hear. God hears our words, but he responds to our desires. And if our desire is Christ's desire, if our desire is God's will for our life, then we can be confident that we have what we desire. Also notice in Psalms that it says that God prepares our heart. You know, it may be we don't receive that which we ask because maybe our heart is not quite prepared to receive it. God desires to give whatever it is, but we have to first be prepared to receive it. That's the the beauty of the closet time. I mean, think about it. What parent in their right mind would give the keys to their car to a five-year-old and then tell them to take it out on I-70 during rush hour? At times our prayers are a mixture of the spirit and the flesh. And it may be that God's will about what we pray, our flesh gets in the way. And so he has to deal with that. He has to deal with that. 
Romans 8, 26 through 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, that's one of the advantages of closet prayer. When you have God's word with you and you're there with him and you're praying over what it is you're reading and you're letting God speak to you as you speak to him, then what you're doing is that you're allowing the Lord to sort through all of your emotions. You're allowing the Lord to sort through all your motives. You're allowing the Lord to search your hearts. You're allowing the Lord to lead us to a better understanding concerning his will in a certain manner. And what he is doing is he is preparing you to receive his answer as you pray, as you express your desires. The closet time is a time that God will often use to liberate us from our own hypocrisy and liberate us from our own vain repetitions. As we seek our, his face and we submit ourselves to his perfect will found in his written word. So what is the main point to be considered here concerning the prayers of the hypocrite and the vain repeater? One prays to be seen and receive glory from others, and the other one is praying to gain merit. To gain merit. Where is the focus of both of these types of individuals? Focus on Leslie? Okay. Ourselves. Yeah, that's the focus. The focus is ourselves. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there are popular religious leaders that have turned prayer to that very thing. Focus on self. In fact, some of them will even preach that God is obligated to answer your prayer. Is he really? Is he really? Am I twisting the arm of God in prayer? Do I have that power and that authority? They tell you you do. That kind of praying is earthbound. It's focused on self. It's focused on the here and now. It's, it's focused on the earth. That kind of prayer is empowered by the flesh. It's concerned about what the flesh wants. It's concerned about meeting the needs of the flesh, feeding the flesh. What Jesus is talking about to his disciples, as far as closet prayer is concerned, in comparison to the hypocrites and the vain repeater, is that genuine Prayer, time spent in the closet with the Father. I'm going to use a big fancy word. There must be a transcendence that takes place in our hearts and minds when we pray. Jesus saith unto the woman, Believe me, the hour cometh when we shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. 
Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In prayer, genuine, sincere prayer, prayer in the spirit, we are able to go beyond the limitations of self. We are able to go beyond our flesh and beyond the boundaries of this world, and we enter in the very presence of the Father in heaven. There is a transcendence that should take place in our prayer life as we go into the closet and we present ourselves before God as a living sacrifice and we look to him for our strength and we look to him for our joy and we look to him for our being our deliverer and our helper and our aid in this life on this planet. There has to be a transcendence from this worldly plane into a heavenly plane as we pray. And lift ourselves up off of this earthly life. And start living a life glorifying to God. Being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that in this life, as saints of God on earth, in prayer we can enter in the very presence of the throne room of grace? That's transcendence. But yet, is that where people are when they pray? When they engage their minds, when they engage their hearts? For the hypocrite and the vain repeater, this marvelous Transcendence doesn't take place. But it's available to us. Now don't get all spooky on me. I'm not speaking mystical stuff. I'm speaking reality. A reality that we need to become familiar with. So in our next time, they're only going to give me one more Wednesday, we're going to look at what everybody calls the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to see this transcendence in this prayer. But in the meantime, I have to stop. Any questions or comments before I close out? Okay. I'll close out in prayer and then uh, five minutes early, not bad. Holy and gracious.